Hello and welcome to episode number 37 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. My name is Dandy Francesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony Maliki, and the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. Hello, Dan. It's good to be here. And let me jump in really quickly before we get going. We got some good stuff today. We're I love talk, it. We're going to talk CBOE, uh, bats. We're going to talk uh, social media and getting rid of some of the noise. And then we're going to talk uh, Trump-Clinton debate. We're going to have some good stuff. But before we get into it. let's. Well, you know what? Can I, just, I love the energy Anthony has right now. Right it's, it's palpable. It's you know? palpable. What exactly. do you got? What do you got? So, exciting. Awards. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the American Financial Technology Awards are going to, they're now open for voting. Um, vendors, there are 11 categories for vendors this year. Usually it's open just to end users. 16 categories for end users. 11 categories for um, for vendors. Uh, on our website, uh, we have plenty of information, and we'll link to it. Um, so check that out. But the voting's now open. It'll be open until about the middle of October. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to me. Also, though, I had a funny story to, or a funny interaction. Love funny stories. A PR person sent me a pitch earlier in the week saying our client. So it was an agency PR, and they said our client won this award from. Uh, I think what would, what would probably be considered a competitor of, our, of ours. I'm not sure, really. You know, we have no competition. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure they're kind of competitors. But that her, uh, this vendor company had won an award. Would you like to talk to the CEO? Now, first of all, just so you know, I understand that there will always be press releases that go out when your company wins an award. Everybody that wins our awards usually puts out a press release. That's all fine. Well, sure. good. Using that as an agency to use that as a jumping off point to say, do you now want to talk to our client? Usually, it's it's. I gotta imagine that the hit rate on that's got to be like one percent, if that. So considering that everybody not at that publication is a competitor yeah, of that publication. Essentially, yeah. So they, I'm not gonna want to. I'm not gonna be like, you know, if they just won the Nobel Prize, sure, absolutely, let's right. chat. But other than that, probably not gonna care that one of my competing, you know, publications gave your client an award. I'm not gonna want to talk to them about. Doesn't that. write a good lead. Yeah. But the funny thing is, so that's just standard fare, though, for the industry, because we're just put onto these email blast lists, you know, so fine, fair enough. First time ever, seven, eight years now working in this space, first time ever had the PR person reach back out to me and say, hey, just wanted to see if you saw the below email, CEO would definitely love to talk to you about this. And it just blew my freaking mind. It's like, must be somebody new had to be somebody new but i'm like man that is one way to get yourself on the water shit list right there it seems like it like it's almost muscle memory to these people when we don't respond to them like they're it's always naturally all right it's been whatever it is three days he or she hasn't responded gotta hit him back up with another follow-up email but my god let sleeping dogs lie like we'll give you the pass because we know we're on the list for the first one the but second one was circle pretty, pretty uh, come on, come on, PR people, do you know, better than that. You know what I think this means? I think that you and I need to record uh, the second version, <laughs> second version of, of PR, do that, PR people. P- PR 102. <laughs> I think we had PR 101. We need PR 102. Yeah. For those of you that haven't, we uh, recorded, Anthony and I recorded a, a best of of what PR people do wrong and what pisses us off about them. Uh, I'll put the link in there. It's definitely worth a listen if you're in PR because you are all making these mistakes and you need to stop. <laughs> but uh, no more bashing. We'll get off people. of our high horse now. Yeah, I'll hop off my high horse. Hopefully I don't tear my ACL. And uh, we'll talk about the big news in the industry. Uh, CBOE agrees to buy BATS Global Markets for $3.2 billion. Big money. Big, big money. Obviously, there are a lot of angles to this story. There's a lot of interest. Um, right off the bat, 
uh, kind of what was made very clear in the release was the fact that essentially this gives CBOE uh, it's kind of a merger. You know, we talked, I think we've talked before, Anthony, correct me if I'm wrong, about mergers, how it's either a smaller subset of something that you're already in and you're kind of envel enveloping them, you're kind of taking them over, or it's something... Enveloping them? Yeah, enveloping. That, was I, the, I, yeah. that wasn't the right... I was going to keep going with it, yeah. but... Um, or it's something that's completely different uh, that kind of brings on an entire new audience and a two market uh, in, into your firm. Yeah. I expand think, your offering. I think it's thing. expand your offering. This is certainly the latter in terms of, I think you have the CBOE kind of traditional old hat, and then you have, I think, BATS, younger, newer technology. Well, well, okay, that's great I, you then. You see, I understand what you're saying as far as the, um, the, the, the two firms and their kind of backgrounds and stuff like that. Um, but I think, though, when you look at this, especially from an options play, um, this is very much a let's grow our base. To me, this merger uh, aims toward one thing. Uh, CBOE's kind of fallen behind in the acquisition game mm -hmm. um, when you look at others, especially in the options space. Um, so let's just go through a couple, just kind of lay out the, the landscape let's for our it. radius. Um, first, let's start with NASDAQ. So NASDAQ, you know, they, they went out, they bought the Philadelphia Stock Exchange, um, who's the number two, um, if you look at um, the, the size of the markets, um, of the 14 markets in the U.S., uh, Philadelphia Stock Exchange number two. They went out, bought ISC um, uh, from Deutsche Börse. Uh, so ISC was the number four um, in terms of uh, market size, percentage-wise. Um, ISC, which also owns Gemini and Mercury, um, and they also operate uh, NASDAQ BX market. So NASDAQ basically has six markets. And as of Tuesday, um, if, uh, if you, Tuesday end of day, if you would take those six markets, it represents 36.5% of the market. Uh, I've been at meetings all day today, so I'm gonna assume that it's still somewhere roughly in there. <laughs> I didn't hear of any horrible market <laughs> downturns today, so I think we're okay to say that. So CBOE had kind of fallen behind in the acquisition game. Um, but now you have BATS. So BATS uh, is the number three largest behind CBOE. COB, CBOE with 23.10% was the market leader in the option space. So they see these kind of acquisitions happening. They say, okay, we now need to really kind of bring on, we need, we need to expand our base. And as this consolidation is kind of happening in this space, so they now operate with uh, four markets, CBOE, BATS, uh, C2, and EDGEX. Uh, so now they're up to 36.8%. So them and NASDAQ basically in a dead heat there. Because then you also had ICE um, who bought uh, NYSE. So that uh, acquisition brought them the American Stock Exchange and ARCA. So they're at 17.9%. And then basically you have these two kind of outliers with uh, the uh, Box Options Exchange, which is owned by TMX Group. I would not be shocked if they get bought sometime, if, they, if they're sold sometime here in the near future. Um, and then this little uh, uh, company called Miami Options Exchange. Funny little story for our readers here. <laughs> we once had a reporter here who uh, they, they swore that the Miami Exchange was <laughs> a front, that it was a big Ponzi scheme or something, <laughs> and that it's... You know that, that that they couldn't get to anybody, and that they, they just swore that this thing did not really exist. And honestly, I laughed at the time, but now I'm starting to look at this. I'm like, man, it's just them and Box, but Box is even owned by TMX Group. Miami's the only one here that's not. 
Maybe that person was right. I don't know. Now allegedly, I'm not allegedly, allegedly, let's, let's protect yeah, let's, ourselves. But yeah, so Sibo, um, they've been behind the game in acquisitions, but you also saw that they recently added uh, LiveVol uh, last year, and LiveVol provides options technology and market data services. Um, they have a, a, a very highly sought-after ability to distill options information into consumable, easy-to-drill-down uh, uh, information, and Sibo uh, also moving their data center in New Jersey from Chicago. Um, so they're now making a lot of moves. I think that, to your point, that they're kind of like this old, you know, you know, pillar of Chicago. You know, right. like their beautiful Chicago Board of Trade building over there. Um, all right. So now they're like, okay, we need to kind of up our game as some people are kind of starting to surpass us. So I think that that's what this um, what this uh, partnership represents most. Okay. I, from my perspective, was I think in the release they were very vocal about the fact that they were moving. They were going to have a unified trading platform that was going to kind of be backed by BATS proprietary trading technology. Mm-hmm. And BATS is obviously known for its technology. Yeah. That's its bread and butter. That, That's fair. It, yes. it doesn't have the prestige that C- CBOE has in terms of the longstanding history, not to, to speak ill of BATS. But it's technology. That's their bread and butter. Uh, and then, kind of the other big angle was that it gets them a, a, a foothold in a revenue stream that is a non-transactional data, which the folks yeah. uh, inside market data did a good job covering, but BATS obviously makes all money off, you know, market data and, and whatnot. So that type of stuff is well, just that point. So yeah, from that article inside market data, we'll link to it. It's a good story to read, but, um, in the second quarter of 2016, SIBO generated, uh, basically $118 million of its $163 million operating revenue from transaction fees with only 8.2 million coming in from market data fees. This obviously is going to help that revenue yeah, stream. Sure, and and as we've talked about, you know, we talk about we talked a few months ago about the potential of the LSEG uh, Deutsche Börse uh, merger that was you know that's still being talked about and, and the EU is now kind of really getting EU's into this, poking so. around to it. Uh, but you know, we're seeing this consolidation across the board. Not and you spoke to it about it, options, but across the board, we're seeing this this consolidation. And I think that that's a great point too. The, the other thing that, the one thing that I guess that flies underneath the radar, and if if you are worried about the market and you think that the market is in bad shape fundamentally, I was speaking with somebody recently, and they're just talking about how liquidity pro- providers are basically leaving the market. The greatest fear is that liquidity providers are going to leave the market. It's just it's a tough environment that high speed trading whether or not you want to call it flash boy stuff and stuff like that, just hide that technology of trading the speed of technology is making it tougher and tougher uh, for smaller firms to compete with larger firms. And that's a big reason why we're seeing this consolidation that liquidity providers are basically either leaving the market or else and they're just saying, okay, let me just team up with you because I can't do this alone. Is that good? Is that bad? I'm not certainly not an expert, but I think that we're going to hear a lot of people in in the future coming forward, especially in the options market. Is basically there are three firms that run the the option the U.S. options market in with CBOE, Nasdaq, and ICE. Right. Yeah. It's it's you know we I I think the right term is bell curve, right? Bell curve is where it goes starts low, then gets high, and we've seen a bell curve in the markets in terms of the fragmentation. You know how many what. Even a couple of years ago, all I heard, I remember when I first got in, was fragmentation, fragmentation, fragmentation. Yes. And now we're seeing more and more consolidation. So it's it's interesting to see how the markets are shifting. And like you said, how what's going to be the impact now? And my argument to the to the person I was speaking with that was talking about the liquidity fires is, well, 
doesn't that just mean that this creates opening for new for new firms to kind of try and step in because essentially whenever you have too much consolidation dissatisfaction happens um that'll be i guess the interesting way because this person said you know he's like honestly i don't mind you know uh, monopolies, you know, th- those right. aren't bad. It's just when the power just resides in two, maybe three companies' hands, that's when the markets become completely disjointed and liquidity becomes just hard to find. It's hard to do business in that environment. Right. Yeah, no, it's interesting, like, whether a, a deal like this is a good thing or a bad thing for a new exchange like like I, like IEX, you know, how, what kind of impact? I mean, yeah, they're not going to be in the options space. You know, well, not in the options, options space, in the but futures, I'm saying- yeah, um, but for their equities. But that's going to happen... So I guess we're seeing that in equity has been a lot of consolidation, but now there's also new firms that are now kind of trying to enter into the space with new ideas. Um, what was it? The, the Cincinnati Exchange or National Stock Exchange, whatever the hell it is. Um, they're also kind of trying. They they were bought and then you know kind of rebuilt themselves as a whole new exchange. Um, will that happen in the options and future space? I guess we'll see. Yeah, it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. Uh, speaking of Chicago. Uh, we spoke about the Chicago conference last week, but uh, this week Anthony published a nice little analysis piece for us, looking at machine learning and its impact on uh, Twitter uh, and kind of social media in general, and kind of filtering out the noise because God knows we know how much noise and BS there is on social media platforms. Just read Dan's Twitter feed. <laughs> uh, so Anthony wrote a great analysis piece, looking at one of the panels discussing discussing that, and then. I didn't want to step on this podcast, so I decided to kind of write about that uh, as my opinion piece for the week. But we can chat about it just real quickly. Um, I guess, Anthony, talk to us a little bit since you wrote the analysis piece, and that was kind of my jumping off point. A little bit about the the, the putting together that piece and kind of the, the thoughts that you were hearing on social media and the impact machine learning can have on it. Yeah, I guess to start off with um, at the conference, uh, Louis Lovis at uh, One Market Data with their One Tick solution was talking about just... It's tough to find. It's tough for firms to find uh, uh, value um, in the social media, and, that, and that's what we've seen. We've seen hedge funds that have started up and said we're going to be, you know, Twitter hedge funds, and we're going to just just trade off of social media, social sentiment, uh, stuff like that. It's been a lot tougher than people I think originally had thought it would be. Um, the the theory around uh, the promise of machine learning, artificial intelligence in general, but machine learning with deep knowledge. Um, uh, is that that will help to weed out and to really target in on the valuable information that does exist in social media. There is value there. It's just you really got to mind for it. Um, so Lou was saying that that's a potential area where machine learning can help, um, if anything, just to help prevent against fraud. And, uh, you know, because social media has become a way for, traders to kind of with a wink and a nod kind of signal to each other uh, through these like little personal side accounts um, potentially this could be a way to help detect even so even take away the we're trying to mine for trade information just from a fraud standpoint to to help prevent against um, from insider trading it's another way that that machine learning can help um, I guess this massive ledger that you can, you know, yeah. essentially use. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was particularly interesting because I had never thought of that. I always thought of it as what's the little trading nugget that you can get 
on Twitter or the the swell that you can see before the tsunami that you can get out in front of and make money. I never thought of it as a KYC AML component. Well, you know, you talk about the the swell. I apologize. I don't have the uh, article in front, my article that I wrote in front of me. But one of the panels I talked about, it's kind of like almost like a, a bomb in many ways that, you know, there's there's all this data feed in, feeding in, feeding in, feeding in, and eventually there's going to be explosion that's going to move a stock price. Right. Um, so that's what it's kind of looking for. Um, so firms should be looking for that because there is information that's going to be feeding in, feeding in, feeding in that will eventually potentially help move the stock up or down. And so if you can capture that, then right. you're going to have an advantage. Yeah. Um, we're still, though, I think a long, long way away from <laughs> it's. It's a valuable tool. There is information there, but I think that the unstructured data of you know planes flying over parking lots, taking you know photos of that, taking those images to see you know which you know shopping centers are doing good business during the holiday season before earnings stuff like that. That's going to be the best stuff. You know, cell phone usage in a mall, in a, in a in a store. You know, is there more cell phone usage this year compared to last year or last quarter? X Y Z. That information, being able to break down that uh, unstructured data, very very valuable. The social stuff is going to be there, but I think that we're still a long way away from truly realizing the potential of tapping into that market. I guess. But I guess there's the the Bloomberg angle. Yeah, <laughs> no, the Bloomberg <laughs> angle. There's all, my all, voice all. cracks. Uh, yeah, no, I just one. It kind of it, it worked for me because. Coincidentally, Bloomberg announced today their partnership with Twitter that would allow for uh, Bloomberg subscribers on Instant Bloomberg to tweet out directly from their instant, from Bloomberg chat, essentially. Uh, which I the kind of the point I made was that the biggest thing with social media is lowering the barriers to entry and making it easily accessible. And if now you can tweet directly from your Bloomberg chat. And it's checked by your compliance. So the big thing is compliance, too. So your compliance officer is, is implicit in this and involved and allows you, gives you access. If you can do that, then all of a sudden there's more valuable information being put out on Twitter or valuable users are putting information out on Twitter. Um, that There's a, bar, a level of entry because you have to have a Bloomberg subscription, so it's not just trolls. And the more that that happens, then the more value firms recognize it, the more they tweak it, and maybe there's a, a usage just because – Whenever you have a big organization tap into, I think, a social media platform and make it easy to use, such as the Bloomberg Terminal, which is so ubiquitous throughout financial services, I think it'll have. I I, I think it'll have some type of impact. I'd be shocked if it didn't. Maybe I'm just crazy, and maybe traders are like, "Who cares about using this?" But maybe not. Who knows? Okay. I don't know. But we. we I, got, I, I apologize. I, I no, miss, no. I missed the news I today. This, I. I threw this right on Tony. I literally got off of a boat and uh, was uh, we took the ferry. I had a meeting up Midtown, took the ferry back. It was quite nice. I love taking the ferry. I highly recommend East River Ferry. But then, yeah, I was like, oh, no, I didn't see this news. <laughs> It'd be nice if East River could give us some sponsorship ads, you know, sponsorship dollars. Or just give me free rides. I'll be, I'll take that easy. Okay, whatever works. Um, but to kind of wrap things up, I think, of course, we need to talk about the first of uh, three Right, first of three yep. presidential debates that three took presidential place. Presidential one, vice presidential. That that took place on Monday. Uh, obviously, the Republican candidate Donald Trump, the Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton, squared off Monday night. A lot to take in. I think, personally, I think it went exactly how I thought it was going to go. I don't know about you, but Trump, I think, for the most part, made an ass out of himself, um, and I think Hillary kind of sat back. And I don't, I don't I, you well, know, I, I yeah, think that's what I would say. I didn't go. Actually, I, I was 
I was even a little bit surprised, perhaps naively, at how just belligerent, I guess, Trump was up there on the stage and how he could not let little slights go by. I think Hillary did just, it was like watching a boxer masterfully, like Floyd Mayweather, just dance around, step, jab, step, jab, drop in a right hand, move out, and the other person swinging wildly trying to hit. I... I was watching the circus, uh, that Showtime show that kind of documents the campaign charts, very good, interesting show. And they said they were talking to um, one strategist, I can't remember who it was, but saying Hillary should come out on the attack right off the bat. And that's what she did. And then but she knew when to back off. And then she when Trump would retort and have his time to speak, she didn't interrupt him. And that was smart. Allow him to just keep on rambling on and on. And he'll eventually hang himself. And he just kept on doing, kept on walking into this. Um, yeah, so for me, that's what it, I thought she did a very good job of. So it, it did surprise me at how much he was flailing out there. Um, I think he went into it with the, with the strategy of I'm going to be calm and composed. And I'm going to, you know, just stick to my talking points. You know, I have my stump speech and I'm going to stick to my stump speech. But then she kept on needling him and needling him and then backing off. And then just allowing him to kind of swing at her and just miss usually, more, more times. That, like the fact that he didn't drill in on emails, on the emails. When she opened herself up, it's like, why isn't Lisa's tax return? I think a lot of people are saying it's something to hide there. A lot of yeah. people wonder. Well, guess what? How did he not then transition that and just turn the table on her with emails? I have no idea. There's so many different areas there that, that did surprise me at how poorly he how I felt that he performed. Maybe our listeners don't agree with that, but I felt he performed quite poorly. Yeah, I mean, and I'm, I'm no Hillary fan here, so I'm not trying to, you know, throw support behind her because um, I know she's told her fair share of lies. But, I mean, like, as a, someone that loves watching live events on Twitter as well, you know, kind of seeing the, you know, you see Trump say, oh, well, I never said that about global warming. And then within 15 seconds, somebody finds a tweet where he says global warming is a property of China as is, you know, is, is a conspiracy theory by China because yeah. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, everyone's retweeting it. And granted, he is not the first politician to lie at a debate. He won't be the last politician to lie at a debate. But just like it just seemed like he kept stepping on his own feet, you know, with the uh, the comment about uh, the tax returns, how, you know, that's just or the, or the financial crisis. That's just good business, you know, yeah. uh, or the uh, the tax returns. Well, I, that just means I'm smart not paying, uh, yeah. you know, it's just so many times where it was just kind of like, what, what are you saying? What are you doing? And it really, like you said, I think that she really could just kind of step back and and her goal was to let Trump be Trump. And he very much was so. And I don't know how many voters that attracted who haven't already well, that, decided. You know, I was, they're talking about like these independents. I'm just sitting there going, listen, I understand if you were looking at this, ele- at this debate and saying, I'm either going to vote for either Trump or Hillary, or I'm not going to vote at all. Who is watching this and saying, I might vote for Trump. I might vote for Hillary. They can still win my vote. I think that those people should have to raise their hands. We should find them. We should round Forfeit them up and then just say, no, we're just going to put you on an Island somewhere because how do you not have an opinion on this by now as to who you're going to vote? Or fine if you're saying, I'm, I might just sit this this election out, or I might go to the the polls, vote for a third party, or vote for nobody, just not do a, right. do a protest vote. Fine, fair enough on that. But I'm like, who's actually kind of going to be swayed to vote for one or the other based on this? You know? Yeah, I feel like by and large, indecisive voters late in the election are just idiots. 
Like, like you said, how I, I don't under I don't understand the makeup or the personality of a person that is sitting there saying, "Well, maybe I could vote for Trump, or maybe I could vote for for Hillary." That, that I don't I don't that person doesn't exist in my mind. There's no way you could be like, "I'm kind of leaning on one or the other." You're either one, the other, or you're out on both of them. The one other thing I would say, though, you know, so we were I was having a conversation with some friends afterwards, and most of my friends I would say are pretty hardcore lefties. Um, how we work for a British company, you know, it, you know, the, the right wing of, you know, the British party is going to be, you know, center left, you know, here in the U S in mm -hmm. many ways. Um, and what's surprising is people are like, you know, you talk about the 50% deplorables and stuff like that. And one thing I think that is important to take away is there are going to be plenty of people that are going to vote for Trump who can't stand Trump, who don't, who, who are going to try and sell themselves on Trump, make themselves believe, okay, he'll be fine. The one thing I think is important to remember, and I think this probably has to come up at some of the debates going forward, but this next president is going to probably nominate four Supreme Court justices. Very good chance of four. They'll have the biggest uh, sway over Supreme Court since Nixon. And you look at the appellate court, like right now we're at 4-4 because Merrick Garland hasn't been nominated yet and the Republicans should because I don't think they're going to win and Merrick's about as good as you're probably going to get. Um, but you look at uh, Obama on the, the, the other courts, the appeals courts, and you know just those, um, the other courts underneath and how much the, the court system has already swayed left. Just because you think you could be like, I hate Trump, I hate, I, I can't stand him. You're almost looking at from a long-term, short-term perspective. A president is a short-term person, no matter what. They're gonna be technically short-term. Four, four years, maybe eight. In Trump's case, probably four years, because he might even just, he's old already, <laughs> not in the greatest health, and he might just be like, you know what, I did my four years, thank you very much, if he were to be elected. Supreme Court nominees and judicial nominees, especially under the appellates and stuff like that, those last for decades we're talking about here. So you, there are going to be plenty of people who aren't, who aren't deplorable, who aren't racist, who just say, I don't think that our you know, court system should swing too rapidly to the left this quickly. Um, so I think that's important for people to keep in mind is that even if Trump was a joke up there on stage, there are going to be plenty of people who are going to still vote Republican. I still think that the Democrats are going to dominate in uh, this November. Um, just because, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, you watch a performance like that. If you aren't fired up on the left, if you were a Bernie Sanders supporter going in and you were like, I'm not sure about Hillary, she had to win you over with that and with uh, Bernie Sanders endorsement, you know, continuing endorsement. How thereafter. sad was that photo? Do you see of him like standing up in his living room yeah. watching on the TV? <laughs> this poor old sad man. It's like our Corbin, except though he didn't get the votes. <laughs> um what do do we do we still think that Trump honestly does want to be president? Like like do like I really think he wins and he's like shit. Yeah. Now I really have to do this. I mean, what there were reports when um, who was the uh, the Republican? Who's your guy in Ohio? Kasich, yeah, right? Kasich. Were there reports that he his camp asked Kasich if he would come and work be the VP, and they basically were like, "Listen, you can run the show. Yeah. Donald's not going to do anything. Yeah, he's going to be You're, a figurehead. You basically can figure out all the all the plans and everything. Donald's just going to be up there talking. I, I I mean, maybe that was all BS, and maybe it, it was proven wrong, but really, in my heart of hearts, I don't think this guy wants the job. 
I th- you know, I think he went out there. He wanted to establish himself as being, you know, somebody that would be remembered for years and years sure. as being, you know, somebody that kind of put his stamp. Solidify on. your legacy. Good or bad, solidify yeah. your legacy. And then he just kept on winning. And, you know, I, I you know, it, it is an interesting question because, you know, you, you, you do kind of, at some point, you're, you are going to have to run this country. I mean, he said at one point, and this is the quote that always sticks out to me. He said at one point during the primaries, I could shoot someone in the middle of the street and I'd still win votes, right? Wasn't that the, the yeah, I don't, I'm I could getting shoot the exact somebody quote. on like Third Avenue? Or yeah, I could like shoot that. somebody on Third Avenue and I'd still get the votes. Who who says that? That's trying to win public office. Uh, it's just it 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 blows my mind. We we Anthony and I have talked before about our thoughts on both candidates and how both of them are nothing to to write home about. But Trump in particular just kind of it, it really blows my mind. And if he were to win, I think. I don't know. It'd be it'd be crazy. But I am looking forward to the excuses because already right after the debate, he said, oh, my mic wasn't working. Did you hear my mic wasn't working? So but maybe it was good enough to pick up all my sniffing. And yeah, well, yeah, that's a whole nother. It's another story for another day. Um, But I think we will leave it at that. Uh, Anthony, you have anything else to add? It's uh, R.I.P. Jose Fernandez. That was heartbreaking news to hear about the baseball player in case you didn't hear. But that was really heartbreaking. First time that I've ever other than Arturo Gatti's passing. First time I was ever affected by a ball, by a sports, just a figure in general, a, you know, whatever, musician, whatever. First time I was ever affected. Sad to see someone that clearly has a lot of passion for the game and is just has fun playing and just his it. story, his backstory of, you know, saving his, trying to escape, saving his mother from drowning once and then to have it go that way. Sure. And just to, like, like you know, I think in a sport that is so often now known for stodgy old white guys to have this young fun guy that's cheering and kind of is always exciting to watch to have him pass far too soon it's uh it's it's very sad and uh yeah it's just, it's just too bad it definitely hit you right in the gut when you heard it um well i guess we're gonna leave it on a leave sour on note yeah there you go. so <laughs> well, we were just talking politics it was always gonna leave it on a sour note yeah yeah exactly but uh thanks so much for listening and uh be sure to tune back in next week 